Hey. Hey. <laughs> That's what we say in Oklahoma. <laughs> well, we're so blessed to be here. Um, as if you know who we are, um, I'm sorry. We'll repent. <laughs> uh, we're building Tammy Woods. We were actually sent out of this body um, 20, more than 23 years ago. But before that, we wanted to honor Dale because it's his fault. Yes. It is your fault, it's brother. It's your fault. <laughs> that we are in. Can you stick that photo up there, brother, in Arriaga? I don't know if you can see this very well. This was the first trip that we went down to Arriaga, and that was Brother Dale. We took a boat trip out to this little island that was covered in these birds. He was trying to show us his belly there. But it really was it really was his doing. We got to know Dale when we were missionaries in Romania, and uh, we we became pastorless when we were there. And uh, he and Teresa just they came on the first missions trip uh, with us. I think Steve was with us and Becky, and that's when we got to know you guys. And that God just bound our hearts together. And Dale was with us with some. Yeah. I think that was in 1992 or three yeah. on that trip. Yeah. So yeah. Whenever we would have times, he would happen to come to Romania or, and, and just, just God would use him, and it was amazing. So we're so honored that, Dale, that you were in our life. Yes. You are, for me, a mentor, a father. A man of integrity, a man that taught me how to walk in ministry with integrity, to use money for what it's designated for, to be honoring and honorable, and so... And not quit. And not quit. And what's, what's the word he always uses? I'll be definite. Be definite. <laughs> be definite. He taught me to be definite. And so when we were called to go to Mexico... We were definite, uh, and, and they got behind us. We had $500 committed to us a month, and uh, they helped us get a vehicle. We loaded a little Isuzu Rodeo with everything that we could. We had no friends. We had no contacts. We just knew God was calling us to that place. On the, it's on the south of Mexico, and uh, Chiapas is the last state of Mexico, about three hours from Guatemala. We lived there, and... So we, we took off. $500 a month, that was it. And the rent that we had to pay for the house was $500 a month. <laughs> we, we got there and we put our mattress on the floor. It was uh, the 4th of May of 19, no, of 2000. And it was, uh, they were beginning the celebration of Cinco de Mayo, which if you know anything about it, it's a lot of noise. <laughs> and our house is right in front of the park was hot. Even the Mexicans say it's the hot part of Mexico where we live. And uh, it, we just thought, God, you made a mistake. <laughs> but anyway, I just, I wanted to honor Dale because uh, we love him so much and he's been by, he's been our cheerleader all these years and we love him. He's been there. The, the people know him. And so thank you, brother. We love you, man. We love you. <laughs> Thank you.
I think some of you know a little bit of the story, but one of the things that happened was when we got down there, Bill had taken a $100 bill and put it in a magnet, a little box that you put a key in and sometimes hide under your car. And he had this $100, and he stuck it there for emergencies. And so when we got there, and we're laying on the floor, and, and we don't speak Spanish, and we, don't, we have that $100, and uh, we don't know anybody in that area, and we're like, we're going to start a school. We don't, how are we going to do that? And, and, um, and I remember just um, laying, well, and I, we got terribly sick, or I got really, really sick, or we didn't know, but a bird had landed in the water supply and had putrefied. And, um, and so we were laying there, and I remember just thinking, this is just a, um, gosh, did we make a mistake? God, did we make a mistake? And Bill comes up and he said, well, I was praying and the Lord said to me, who do you trust in emergencies, son? And, and Bill said, well, Lord, I trust you in emergencies. And, and the Lord said, then why do you have that $100 bill stuck up under your car? If you trust me, give it away. And, um, <clears throat> and so Bill came up and I'm, I'm laying there and I have a really high fever and I'm sick. And he, he told me that. And I, I'm so grateful that I listened to God and I married the man of my dreams and and um and I and I said well let's do it let's just give it away I mean we're so far out on a limb now what's a little further gonna I mean and um and so that afternoon somebody came by the house and and Bill gave the hundred dollars away and that was it and we had a we didn't have a, a um ice box that's Texan isn't it an ice box <laughs> a refrigerator and we had a like a cooler that we had some bread and ham in and and um and that was about that was it and we gave that money away and we were just stuck and and um but it was I'm so glad for these lessons um and we it was in the next four to six weeks was a little we were being stretched quite a bit there. And then also Bill had had an accident, and his one of his arms was atrophied. And so um, I remember we're like, we're, we're just pitiful looking. And, and, um, and then about after six weeks, it all broke loose. And people started calling the, and didn't know anything about what we were going through or what was happening. And I remember, Candy, you, not, you might not remember this, but you called, and I had just been praying, Lord, what are we going to do about a sound system? And you and Gary bought the sound system. You didn't even know, and you just heard from the Lord, and you called us, and you said, I'm, I'm buying a sound system. And, and then somebody else called and said, I feel like I'm supposed to buy tables. We were going to start a school, but we didn't even have any chairs or tables for them to sit at. And it was just an amazing beginning. And, with, and just as Bill said, we're starting the school, I think it was in September, um, that we're starting the school on this date at this time, and we opened the doors and we had 60-something students. And they were from every, I don't even know how they got there. I, sometimes I listen to some of the stories of, they call themselves the dinosaurs, the first group of people that got born again. And and they they have these stories about walking by the house and, and just feeling this pulling towards the house and not knowing why. And we had that first group was, um, I said we had Nazarenes, Pentecostals, Catholics, Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, and two witches um, that was in the first class. And three months in, 
everybody was born again except for one witch. She went running out the door. But, and everybody was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and we just, we ended up with that school for seven years. And we ran 15 classes every Saturday. We ended up with three years of, of students every Saturday, first, second, and third year. Bill and I were running around like chickens with our heads cut off trying to, it was just, but it was a great time because it was a hunger. It was hunger. And when you have somebody hungry, it's just such a privilege to, to most of those original people that, that graduated from the first schools are the leadership in our church because we never knew we were planting a church until Dell came and Bill was um, complaining, quejando, quejando, and he came. And Bill was up on the roof of our house with Dale, and they were sitting there, and Bill was complaining and saying, you know, I'm not pastor, Dale. I just wasn't called to be a pastor, and I'm just not a pastor, Dale. And Dale looked at Bill, and he said, well, Bill, you're pastoring. And I think that means you're a pastor, and you need to get this church started. And so we got the church started. And then a few years later, the children came, and I, I won't go into the whole thing, but those that, you know, the story, we've had a heart for orphans. We worked with um, Ilie Koroma in Romania for four years, um, working with the orphans. And then Bill told me we're going to, I said, we're going to start orphan work. And I'm going, I don't want to. It hurts too bad. And um, and he said, no, God is calling us again. I feel it to the orphans. And, and sure enough, um, the Lord started the work. Somebody knocked on the door one day, and there are three little ball-headed girls. Hey, they look just like you. I forgot. Hey. Yeah. They had shaved all their hair off because they had lice. He doesn't. But, um, <clears throat> and, um, no, yeah. And so, anyway, it started with three and then five and then ten and then whatever. I don't know how many now. And, and, um, and so we've been planted there persevering for the last 23 years. And, um, the Lord has just blessed us with a great family. We ended up with 48 children, um, that call us mom and dad and lots of grandkids now. Um, and I think right now we have 18 or 9. No, we have 20 at home. We can count them. We've got 20 still at home. Um, they're out. Many are in college, uh, married. Um, we have some that are not doing so good. They're nose diving, but we're in faith for them. And, um, and just lots of cool things happening. We're going to show you a video and, um, to kind of give you an idea. And so, brother, if you have the video, if you can go ahead and get that started. This the is Bible our says in John 15, 8, that when we bear much fruit, God is glorified, a sign of a true disciple of Christ. Seek the lost and equipped the found. That was the call over 23 years ago when Lost and Found International began in Chiapas, Mexico. I think my focus is on Jesus and it's on pleasing, being pleasing to him, doing what he tells me to do. And when that happens, I automatically begin to bear fruit. My responsibility in cooperation with the Holy Spirit is to make disciples. And I do that by living with them, by letting them watch me when I work, when, when we're together eating, when they're in the school. It's living life together. And that's when the fruit of the, of the Christ in them, that seed that's been planted in them, begins to manifest. Over the past two decades, with the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we have been a part of a great harvest in Chiapas. We have seen the growth of the church in the city of Arriaga, 
where hundreds of people have given their lives to Jesus. We have the Children's Home, where we offer a haven for abused and abandoned children. We offer them quality education and a life full of love and opportunity. We continue with the construction of the Potter's Ranch with the ongoing construction of the individual homes for children. We continue with the production of rabbits, cattle, and fruit trees with the goal of one day becoming a self-sustained village for children. But all of this has been achieved through people that have dedicated their lives to the work of the Lord in this place and with the support of people like you who have decided to sow into the lives of thousands of people in Chiapas. All the fruit that we have in Chiapas is not because of us. It's because of us. So the fruit that we have is the fruit that we have, and it will go and go and go. And so we want to thank you. It costs money. It costs to have the children. You have to have shoes and underwear. You have to have school books. You have to, um, many of them have medical problems, dental problems. And of course, the most important, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, is to, to take on the task of praying for us. For more information, please contact us. If you would like to partner with us in the harvest, please follow the QR code link on your screen. Thank you. And honestly, I, I give, um, we give God the glory. The, the young guy that was interviewing us, he didn't put that part in, but he should have. I said, we're not smart enough to do this. It, it, we're not. People come and they say, um, you know, how, do you have a degree in psychology? Do you have a degree in counseling? Do you have a degree? And I said, well, I'm an artist. I have a degree in art. <laughs> and, um, and we're just not smart enough to do it. But we are smart enough to follow Jesus. And that leads you into that place of being fruitful. And um, I, it all, for me, this part of, of what we did started in used to be the prayer room right here with Candy and a few other people because they were all, we were all praying about whether Bill and I were supposed to do this. And, and we just kept getting green light that Brother Dale had really encouraged us to, to go down there. And um, just an amazing thing. And I, I um, Bill, he's giving me, he's got a timer right here for me. <laughs> Those of you that know us. <laughs> and in a minute he's going to do this so I <laughs> I, I love my husband <laughs> um, I just wanted to go over a scripture that is very very familiar with you and, and then we'll turn it over to Bill but um, this is in Matthew 13 and, and it's um, it's the parable of the sower, which um, I know many of you have probably preached it. And, but there's something I want to give you. If I could leave you with the lesson that has cost me dearly <laughs> over the last few years, that, that maybe it might help somebody here today. And that is, let's just begin here in verse 1. It said, that same day Jesus went out of the house and he was sitting beside the sea but such great crowds gathered around him or about him that he got into a boat and he remained sitting there while all the throngs stood on the shore. And he told them many things in parables 
stories by way of illustration and comparison, saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell by the roadside, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they had not much soil, and at once they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they dried up and withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them out. Other seeds fell on good soil and yielded grain, some a hundred times as much as was sown, some sixty times as much, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him be listening, and let him consider and perceive and comprehend by hearing. And then if you will just jump down to verse 18. And this is they had asked him to give them, you know, a better understanding of this parable. And and Jesus says to them, listen then to the meaning of the parable of the sower. While anyone is hearing the word of the kingdom and does not grasp and comprehend comprehend it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the roadside. As for what was sown on the thin, rocky soil, this is he who hears the word and at once welcomes and accepts it with joy. Yet he has no real root in himself, but is temporary, inconstant, lasts but just a little while. And when affliction or trouble or persecution comes on account of the word, at once he is caused to stumble. He is repelled and begins to distrust and desert him whom he ought to trust and obey. And he falls away. As for what is sown among thorns, this is he who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the pleasures and delight and glamour and deceitfulness, deceitfulness of the riches choke out and suffocate the word, and it yields no fruit. As for what was sown on good soil, this is he who hears the word and grasps and comprehends it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundred times as much as was sown, in another sixty times as much, in another thirty. And this was um, his explanation of this parable. And I think when we have been taking care of orphans and children probably for from the beginning of our marriage, so I'd say 40, 41 years, in one way or another, Bill and I have been involved with children. And when we were in Texas, we had a halfway house when we were first married, and um, we took in children in our home there. And then later on, we went to work at the Methodist Boys Ranch for juvenile delinquent boys, and we had 15 juvenile delinquents. I think Bill and I, we were in our 20s during that time. And um, and then later on, the Lord would, one of the boys came to live with us, and um, and then later on, the Lord called us to Romania. And then in Romania, we started with six kids when we got there, Elie already had around six children, which one of them was Aline, which is some of you know Aline. Um, and, um, and I think by, by the time that we left Romania, we had helped establish two different orphanages. The one orphanage, had we had 98 where Bill and I were. And then we were starting the second orphanage, which was an infant orphanage for children under two. And, and as the Lord began to call us, he kept saying that we were being called to a different field. And we, you know, just somebody just mentioned that, you know, about you getting your roots pulled up. And, and, the, and I remember telling Eli, please don't give us a going away party. We can't, I don't think my heart can handle this. And what did they do? They gave us a going away party. And, and I remember we were just, the children, there were so many kids and they couldn't get to Bill and I. And they were, they were just surrounding us and they were crying and crying and, 
And I just, the, my heart was so torn out. I, I remember, I think I, as we drove out, we drove through Romania, Hungary, and Austria into Germany. And I said, I cried across all of those countries. I just wept because of the heartache of, of this. And, of course, you have to obey God, and God has a plan. He's got a purpose, and you need to make sure that, you know, God, I'm after you. And so starting the work again was was not easy for me. Um, and But then the Lord made it claim, really clear that that's what he was doing. So we fast forward 15 years, and we raise them. It's not a matter of being there for four years, five years, but we, we raise these children, some of them from infancy on up to adulthood. And I think I thought in my heart, I was so naive thinking, um, I'm going to love, I'm going to just give them every opportunity available. I mean, Bill and I, we're mom and dad to these guys, and and we've, we do, I mean, we've done so many things through the years, and of course, we start our own school, they have a school with us, and um, and we've gone on vacation, and God's made just, I, one time we were at a, um, we're sitting in a um, resort that somebody blessed us to go to this resort, uh, and we're sitting there, and I and Bill and I are going, wouldn't our kids enjoy this? Wouldn't this be amazing? And we were laughing. We said, well, how much in the, how much money would you need to bring all these kids here? You know. And Bill said, there's you know there's not anything impossible. And and he went to talk to the manager to see if they would give us a break. And eh, no, they were they were looking for the money. <laughs> and <clears throat> so when Bill walked in and he told me that I was sitting on the bed, and on the bed I did, I made a declaration. I said, there is no enemy in hell that could stop my children from being in this place if this is what God wanted. And and when I made that declaration, someone knocked on the door. And there was a couple from Canada that we had met the first 20 minutes that we had got, I think, in the lobby. And they said, oh, we wish we'd brought our children. And I said, yeah, I wish we'd brought ours, but I think we had 30 or something at that time. And and they, they said, oh, really, what are you doing? We said, well, right up the road a, pay, a, a, a bit, we have, a, have an orphanage. And that was the extent of the conversation. And they were, sta- I had made the proclamation, Bill answered the door, and they were standing there with an envelope, and they had prepaid for 30 people to come to the resort. That's our God. And so... We took our kids, and I said, I, um, and, and the cool thing, Howard and Lena, those of you that know them, they met us at the resort. My mom met us at the resort. We had this whole resort to ourselves, and I said to the kids, I've always, I would kind of limit their pop and, you know, stuff like that, and I said, when you get to the resort, it is, it's go for broke, you know? <laughs> Uh, there, there is room service 24 hours a day, and, the, and our kids, uh, they were throwing up everywhere. But, <laughs> I mean, it was just, we just had a blast. And so our kids grew up with a lot of things. One time the Lord opened up, we took a bus. The state gave us the use of a chartered bus, and we took them to Six Flags in Mexico City. And a church hosted us, and we went to the we went to the zoo. We took them. They've had, they had a great great growing up. Let me tell you. And plus, they had him as a dad. And I said, Bill is a kid magnet, and I, he's just an amazing father to these kids. And and so, but I thought as they as they transitioned out, we were working on how to get them into college and universities, or to give them some kind of skill, you know, for the next thing. And then all of a sudden, children started nosediving. 
looking for birth parents, which is all right if it's a, if it's a good situation, but in many of uh, these situations, it wasn't. And the first couple of times this happened, I was just, uh, I felt I am a complete failure. We are, we were just failing. We failed at this. And, and after all of these years of, of just inputting and loving and, and we've just failed. And, and um, we went through just really difficult times. And one child that was so close to Bill, we'd sent him through. He had a heart for missions, went to YWAM. We managed to get the money together for him to go on his mission trip to the Philippines. He comes home and he just, he just goes right into the world. And, and so I just went before the Lord and God, you know, have we, did we miss it? What did we do here? And I remember I had my Bible open and, and I looked down and there was a scripture that jumped out and it said, do not cry and do not be sad um, for your labor is not in vain and your children shall return from the land of the enemy. And I, it was my promise, and I planted, I really planted myself on that promise. God, you will bring them home. But again, we, you know, it's hard when you have three adolescents that might be in rebellion. But Bill and I had, at that time, a whole group of boys, like I'd say ten at least boys. And wow, they were just going through this stuff. And I think, God, I can't take it. I just can't. Bill's found me in the bottom of the shower with my pillow, just, I, I just... God, I can't do this. I can't do this. And, and, and I found that, you know what? That's a good place to get. I cannot do this. But thank God you can. You can. And then we have a whole mess of handicapped kids that I have no idea what's going on. I mean, all I knew was God said, take them. You know, take this girl, and I don't even know what's wrong with her, and she has cerebral palsy, and they said she'd never walk, and that was a picture of her on a walker, walking. She'd never feed herself. She eats on her own. We have another child that was born without a leg. We have a Down syndrome boy that had been abused in another orphanage where the children there had been electrocuted as a, as the, I mean, just, we have a family of six where the dad murdered the mother in front of the, the smaller children, um, and that was a cute little guy up there that was talking to Bill. And, and it's just story after story after story. A child that we have that his mother put his hand in a frying pan. And he, had, he came to us with third-degree burns and just scars all over his body. And I'm not telling you this to get you. I'm just telling you, this, this is our life. And we have a, a functioning church, an amazing church. And, and um, I... But at that point, I thought, this is the end. I can't do this anymore with the kids. I'm getting older, and it's getting, it's so emotionally devastating, God. And then the Lord brought me to this in two things. First of all, the, 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 tierra, the, the dirt, the soil, is not my responsibility. <laughs> my responsibility is not the soil that I am sowing on. That is not my responsibility. My responsibility is to sow the word of God. It says that God would have all come into his kingdom. That he loved all the world. He would would that none would perish. That is the heart of God. But there are going to be people that perish because they reject the truth. Do you remember Jesus was looking over Jerusalem and he, was, he had this longing and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
they had missed their time of visitation and how I would long to just gather you under my wings as a hen would with, with her chicks. And I know this feeling, I can identify this because you go into the mission field and you want to give the word and you want people to respond and, you, and, and they don't understand. And you're sharing your heart out and you're, you're serving and you're working and you're laying down your life and they still don't understand. But our responsibility is to get the word out. Our responsibility is to sow the word. And then the, the results are really up to God. But there is life. There is life in the seed. And sometimes that seed is dormant for a very long time. But this seed is there. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, Tammy, why do you think that you would be any different? How many disciples were with me at the cross? How many were there at the cross with me? How many stayed with me when they didn't understand when I said to them, eat my flesh, drink my blood? And it said a great multitude, they rejected him, they walked away. And he said, Tammy, why should it be any different? If this happened to me, do you think it will not happen to you? That you give your life and that you lay down your life and that, that it's, to some it's just a waste but to Christ, it is the most valuable thing we can do. So what if they reject you? So what if they persecute you? What we have is so important. It is a treasure hid in a field. And we need to sell everything we have. Give everything we are. And buy that field because of the treasure. If you walk around and you treat something so lightly that is so valuable, Jesus paid this price, an incomparable price, so that you and I would have this, the seed to sow. And, and Bill, you can have it. Cut me off, honey. Um, I, I just, oh, the longing. To, you want more for people than they want for themselves. You just want so much more. You look at the way they're living. You look at what they're settling for. And, and you're saying, there's so much more for you. You don't have to live this way. You can invest everything and receive it back a hundredfold. You can give everything away and he will give it back over and over and over and over. And so my lesson is this, be not weary in well-doing. You can put that other scripture up there. It's in Galatians 6, 9, I believe. Galatians 6, 9. Be not weary in well-doing. And I would say, God, what do you mean? Look at what's on my plate. How am I not supposed to be weary? I mean, how am I not supposed to be weary? There, there's, there's, God, there's so much on the plate. And then I'm married to him. <laughs> and I love my husband and I honor my husband, but my husband is a visionary to the bone. And, and I, about the time we get one thing accomplished in running, he said, wow, the Lord has just said this. And I'm going, oh God, hold on, here we go. 
and we're just this great team. We really are a great team. And um and and so um I think our next am I dead? I'm done. I'm dead. Right? I'm dead in the water. Um, just to let you know, I mean, this coming January, we both feel we're supposed to start a missions training school, and we want to get young missionaries or older missionaries, either way. Um, so if you're old, you're not disqualified. And um, the, no, and we want to. We just felt like we need to get people on the field for a little bit, but in a good environment where they can. They can really get their feet wet. They can see what it's going to cost. But it's not the cost you normally think because you have to learn to work together. And um, uh, language training school, that has been on our heart for a long time as well. So that's another thing that we've got in front of us with everything else. And, um, And just I hope someday you get to come and see what God did with two crazy gringos that, um, well, three. There are three crazy gringos involved in this. And Dell went down there, and I remember we had just taught um, this, this uh, school on the coast in a fishing village, and we ended up pulling in 40 pastors, and we're working with these pastors. Brother Dell was there, and it was so stinking hot. I thought, oh, God, I'm so glad I'm not called here. And, um, and, then, and, and so, but somebody comes up to us afterwards, and we knew we were about to pioneer, but we weren't sure. And somebody comes up and says to us, will you come back and start a Bible school? Won't you come back and start? And Dale says, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> and I said, well, I'll pray for somebody to do that. I'm going to pray for somebody to come and do that. And, but it was a good idea. It was a God idea. And now we're there. We've been there 20, um, going on 23, 24, 24 years now, yeah, from 1999. And... Um, you know, sometimes I look at my kids and I look at the people in the church and just some of the stuff you said a while ago about Brazil. I have people come. I'm sorry, honey. Um, I have people come and they, they come up to Bill and I and they go, what would we have done if you hadn't come? What would we have done? You know, God is big. He could have sent somebody else. But that, that feeling of the, the transformation of a whole area, the transformation... This morning we were talking about initially there was a group of about five or six women um, and their husbands were persecuting them because they were in the Bible school. And I kept saying, love them, submit where you can submit, get in the bathroom and just take authority in the house. And we have bathroom ministry. If he's yelling, if he's violent, you get in the bathroom and you start taking authority over the enemy. And you know, we were talking this morning, every husband is in our church except one, and we're on him, except one. And they're on fire because the seed, sometimes it says in due season, in the right season, that seed bears fruit and it multiplies in the right season. So be encouraged. You know, we're not called for results. We're called to obey, and the results are in the Lord's hands. Amen. Take it with you. Well, <laughs> that was important. Well, that really, I mean, God made us a team. It says we're one. And so let, we, we have to get past that it's her or me. It's us. We are a team, and that's how God made us. And all of you married couples, that's, that's you, you are a complement to each other. 
And the voices blend together, make a really strong voice for what the Lord wants to say. I'm not going to hold you a long time, but I felt like I needed to say something to challenge you. Something that would shake your tree. I want to be the rock in your shoe. So get ready. And, and I'm just going to ask the Lord to open your ears that you can hear. And, and some of you have already heard before. And I just want to shake that up so that if God has called you to do something, don't let it go. But I, I want you to do an exercise with me. And I, and I know this is probably difficult. Just close your eyes and I'm going to read this story. And I want you to visualize. Some of you might have heard the story, but I want you to visualize because God gave us our imagination. And we're just going to use our holy, sanctified imagination to see this picture. This is a story that was taken from a book called When a Nation Forgets God. So just close your eyes and listen. The following is an eyewitness account of how members, some members of a church related or reacted to the tragedies and darkness of their times. Quote, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. We heard stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because what could anyone do to stop it? It was so big. A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning we could hear the whistle in the distance and the wheels coming over the tracks. We became disturbed when we heard the cries coming from the train as it passed by. We realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle in a car. Week after week, the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sound of, these, of those wheels because we knew we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews en route to death. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train was coming, and we, when we heard the whistle blow, we began to sing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang louder as soon as we heard them no more. Years have passed and no one talks about it anymore. But I still hear the train whistle in my sleep. God, forgive me. Forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians yet did nothing to intervene. Can you visualize it? You can open your eyes. We live in dark times. There's no doubt. And it's getting darker at an accelerated rate. With the advent of the internet, with the advent of satellite, with the advent of smartphones, we're seeing a change in our culture that is so disgusting, so dark. We see people have become passive observers of the tragedies of others. We see people being bludgeoned while 10 people record it and no one intervenes. We see young people pummeling elderly people while others record and live feed it to their TikTok channels. And this is happening among believers. What is wrong with us? Is that the train going by? If darkness is increasing, so is the harvest. Yes, sir. 
When was the last time we hurt for others? When we weren't numb to their sin, we've got so anesthetized to sin that it doesn't phase us. You can watch a series on TV and, and the profanity, the nudity, we just kind of let it go by. We've allowed our senses to be numbed to the tragedy around us. I don't want to get to the end of my life and say what they said. Oh, God, forgive me. Forgive me that I didn't do anything. But it's so big. What am I going to do? How am I going to change my world? See, that's the problem. We, we think so big. Tammy is an artist, and she used to get paid for painting really big airbrush paintings. And one day, someone contracted her to paint a, a backdrop so that they could use it for painting, uh, for taking photographs, and it was a huge Mercedes Benz. And I remember we hung the banner, the thing down in our basement, and she would go down there. She had sketched it all out, and she would go down there, and day after day, she wouldn't do anything. And I said, what's going on? And she goes, I don't know where to begin. It's too big. And I said, well, let's do something. Let's coordinate off in sections. And just go by a section. Just do that. And she did. And she painted a section and then she painted another section. And they paint. before she knew it, it was all done. You see, our problem is when we hear the call of the gospel, we think, it's too big. How do I do that? You start with what's in front of you. You start with who you are, where God's planted you. You don't have to go to a seminary or cemetery. You are the walking gospel. You remember the, the Gadarene demoniac? Jesus went all the way across the stormy sea to get to one guy who was full of demons. He gets him free. The guy says, can I go with you? And Jesus says, No. Wait a second, what kind of discipleship is that? I mean, this guy's not equipped. Oh, yes, he was. He had an encounter with Jesus that set him free, and he had a message. So it says he went about all of Decapolis, which is this, the area of 10 cities. Deca is 10, the area of 10 cities sharing his story. I would really like to know how that story ended. How many people's lives were impacted? So, if the need is increasing because of the darkness, the harvest is increasing. Where are the workers? Do you know we see less missionaries responding to the call than ever before? We have a generation that thinks going on a short-term trip is enough. No, the short-term trip should get you going. It, sh it should be the launch pad to what's next. The world is dying and they need you. You have a university full of kids that come from all over the world. Wow, what a mission field. What are you doing? Don't just passively take pictures of what's happening. Boots on the ground, do it. You're never too old. The guy that started the clinic that we, were, we received, that they donated to us for the orphanage, started when he was 70 years old. He retired 
took his retirement, went down there at 70, built a clinic to provide free surgeries for cataract and cornea transplants, and he did it for 20 years till he was 90. And then he handed it over to us. So oldness is not an excuse. Neither is youngness. The fear of men stops us from doing so much. And that's a problem with youth because we're afraid of what, what will my friends say? Well, how how about what would Jesus say? Because you're going to give an account to him, not them. Okay, Luke 10, 2 says, Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but laborers are few. He had that same problem. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Now, let's go to Mark 16, 15 through 18. It says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will, will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Jesus said, go. It is not an option. It is not a request. It is a command to the body of Christ. The most important thing on God's dance card is reaching the lost. Time is running out. We, need, we have an urgent outreach, and that is reaching the lost. There is not one of you that are exempt from that call. Not one. And like Keith Green said, if God didn't tell you to stay, he already told you to go. So if you don't have a word from the Lord to stay, you were called to go. Now, does that mean you all have to go to a foreign country? No. You, you, but you have to go. Go to your neighbor. Go to your friend. Start something. Do something. Arthur Blessed, who, who traveled all over the world with a cross on his shoulder, said, if God told you to go, ask him where. And if you know where, then you need to start working in that direction. Get on a plane. And if you can't afford to get on the plane, he said, then you need to get in a car. And if you can't afford a car, then you need to get on a bike. And if you can't get on a bike, just fall in the direction of the call. But do something. Just do something. Something. I want to encourage you to do something today today. Just say, Jesus, yes. I don't know what you want me to do, but I say yes. Because there are lives that depend on your yes. And our yeses, none of them look the same. Don't compare yourself with us. We don't compare. We all have such a different aspect of this diamond. The facets are so different, but the, the, the life is the same. Okay. Are you okay? 
I'm almost done bludgeoning you. <laughs> so in Acts, after Jesus it commands them to wait and get filled with the Spirit, because that, that is crucial. Don't go unless you're filled, okay? We have to be filled. He says, wait in Jerusalem until you've been endued with power on high because you're going to need this. And then he said, this is what happened in Acts 1, 8 through 11. But you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on him, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, two angels. Now listen to what they said. Men of Galilee, what are you doing? Why are you standing here looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. He's saying, okay, guys, you got the orders. What do you? And they said, no, no, no. Go, go, go. It's time. The church has spent its time looking, waiting. We want Jesus to come back. We know he's going to come back. But we want him to find us working. We want him to find us doing. Fruit are people, hermanos. Fruit is what we're taking with us. Those buildings, those structures, the money we've used, the paper he's given us to buy. You know, I always say money is just paper. God can give me more paper. That's all just a means to the fruit. That's all it is. They're tools to reach people. They are the precious treasure. I don't care at the end of my life how much I've built. It's who I've built. I, we don't want to fill the church. We want to fill the kingdom. I want to fill the kingdom. Don't lose your passion. If you've lost your first love, ask the Lord, please, Jesus. I want to be, be able to weep for the lost again. I don't want to sing when the train comes by, Lord. I don't want to be numb to the videos of tragedy. I don't want to be numb to other people's hurts. Help me to quit thinking about me and begin to think about them. Because I know as I think about them, you will think about me. God, help us. Matthew 16, 24 through 28, and I'll finish. And Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in glory, in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say, 
to you there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Do you know, I don't believe he was talking about people there weren't going to die. He was, in context, he was saying, I, I think there's some of you that aren't willing to die to yourself. Until they see the Son of Man returning, there will be a death. They will say, oh, what did I do? They will experience a death that they never experienced, that they could have experienced, denying themselves. When I take up my cross, what am I doing? I'm putting the flesh to death. I'm saying no to me. And I'm denying myself. I'm saying, Lord, I am not my own. I'm bought with a price. Do you believe that? We talk about giving our lives to Jesus. But most of the time we're saying I'm only giving him a smidgen of my life, a tithe of my life, a percentage of my life. No, he says, I paid for everything. I have no rights. Dead men have no rights. My life is hidden in Christ. Let's disappear. Let's quit being all about us. And let's be all about him. Would you stand up, please? I, I think we need to respond. It's, it's not good to be talked to or talked at. As you were listening, the Holy Spirit speaks. And there are things that you heard that rung true. Not, maybe not everything, but there was something that just stuck out. So I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to talk to the Lord about that thing. Did he talk to you about being silent? Did he talk to you about ignoring your call? Did he talk to you about not reaching out to those who are around you? Just respond to him. Say, Lord, I know this is where I'm weak. I need your help. Would you do that? Just close your eyes. Father God, I pray in Jesus' name. We are desperate to feel what you feel. We are desperate to hear your heart. God, forgive me when I've sinned, when I've wanted mine above yours. Forgive me when I've thought more about me than I've thought about others, Lord. Forgive me, Lord, when I've turned down the volume of suffering because it makes me feel uncomfortable. Lord God, you bought me. You bought us. Because we are your church. We've been given authority, Father, to tear down the walls of the enemy and not cower before it. Oh God, raise up your army. If we have sinned against you in our ignorance, Lord, forgive us. Break our hearts with the things that break yours. Help us to love what you love and hate what you hate. Help us to see with clarity what's become foggy. Give us the burden of the lost, Jesus. Students that are here at OSU, Lord God, I pray that there be a revival among these international students that would sow the seed around the world, Father God, use New Covenant as a catalyst, as a catalyst for them, Father God. 
a radical church that's not afraid. Oh God, the harvest is ripe and we need workers. Please, Father, send workers. Send workers to Stillwater. Send workers to Mexico, to Brazil. Send workers, Jesus. We need them. Lord, we love you. Help us, Holy Spirit, not ignore you, not marginalize you, but acknowledge when you're here among us, working, touching, convicting, changing. We need you, Holy Spirit. If there's anyone here with your eyes closed and you have never, ever taken the step to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never said, I don't know anything about this. I need Jesus. I want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. We want you to come up here in the front and we'll just pray with you. God, we love you. Can we just wait on him a few minutes? Jesus, we want to hear from you, Lord. Oh, Lord, we love you, Jesus. I just feel from the Lord, um, this phrase is going round and round, and it says, you haven't read the end of the story. And so many times we want to see the we want to see the results immediately. We want to see um, something immediately. And the Lord is saying, "This is a small chapter. This is a paragraph. You have not seen the end of the story." And when you're when you're re- planting and when you're when you're sowing the seed, sometimes we don't get to see the end. Yes. We don't see it. And um, I was. Years ago, I was in Romania, and I was putting a small child to bed. He was around six years old, and I was tucking him in, and I was leaning over him, and I was blessing him. And I I said to him, you're going to grow up. You're going to be such a godly man. You're going to have a godly family. God's got so many adventures ahead of you. And he looked up at me, and he said, and you, when are you going to leave me? And it just stabbed my heart. Because I couldn't make a guarantee. I couldn't say, I'll be with you while you're growing up. Or I'll be with you. I won't leave you. I won't. And and I just said, Aline, I know one day, God, he just has a plan, honey. And you're going to have to trust that plan. And, and, and we fast forward so many years later, Bill and I leave Romania. And I think Aline was maybe nine years old or so when we left. And was one of the children that was hanging on to us crying. And. I, I go to Mexico and I raise up a new family and we were ministering there and one day one of my girls is in her 30s and she says, Mom, I, I, I just feel like it, I, it's time. I, she hadn't been dating, but she said, I, I just am ready to be married. I feel that. And I said, well, we'll pray. And my, my iPad was open and, and she said, and we just, it was a joke. She said, wow, he's cute. And it was on Facebook or something and it was Aline. And Bill was, we were sitting in a restaurant, and Bill being who he is, he says, 
<laughs> he, he says, hey, Aline, um, are you... Uh, are you dating anybody or whatever? And Aline's going, why? You know what? Whatever. <laughs> but I won't. Just to fast forward, Aline marries our daughter, and Aline comes and is serving as a missionary in Mexico. Um, a child when I was he was, and he has memories. He has these memories of things I've forgotten. And I just want to. I just have this word here. You haven't read the end of the story. Yes. I mean, even in their lives, we don't know what the end of the story is. And so I just, I want to encourage you. You don't know the end yet. We are to, to continue to sow, to sow, and to sow.